Section One of The Girl with the Golden Eyes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. The Girl with the Golden Eyes by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. Section 1 One of those sights in which most horror is to be encountered is surely the general aspect of the Parisian populace, a people fearful to behold, gaunt, yellow, tawny is not paris a vast field in perpetual turmoil from a storm of interests beneath which are whirled along a crop of human beings who are more often than not reaped by death only to be born again as pinched as ever men whose twisted and contorted faces give out at every pore the instinct, the desire, the poisons with which their brains are pregnant. Not faces so much as masks, masks of weakness, masks of strength, masks of misery, masks of joy, masks of hypocrisy all alike worn and stamped with the indelible signs of a panting cupidity what is it they want gold or pleasure a few observations upon the soul of paris may explain the causes of its cadaverous physiognomy which has but two ages youth and decay youth wan and colourless decay painted to seem young in looking at this excavated people foreigners who are not prone to reflection experience at first a movement of disgust towards the capital that vast workshop of delights from which in a short time they cannot even extricate themselves, and where they stay willingly to be corrupted. A few words will suffice to justify physiologically the almost infernal hue of Parisian faces, for it is not in mere sport that Paris has been called a hell take the phrase for truth there all is smoke and fire everything gleams crackles flames evaporates dies out then lights up again with shooting sparks and is consumed in no other country has life ever been more ardent or acute the social nature ever in fusion seems to say after each completed work pass on to another just as nature says herself like nature herself this social nature is busied with insects and flowers of a day ephemeral trifles and so too it throws up fire and flame from its eternal crater. Perhaps before analysing the causes which lend a special physiognomy to each tribe of this intelligent and mobile nation, the general cause should be pointed out which bleaches and discolours, tints with blue or brown, individuals in more or less degree by dint of taking interest in everything the parisian ends by being interested in nothing no emotion dominating his face which friction has rubbed away it turns grey like the faces of those houses 
upon which all kinds of dust and smoke have blown in effect the parisian with his indifference on the day for what the morrow will bring forth lives like a child whatever may be his age he grumbles at everything consoles himself for everything jests at everything forgets desires and tastes everything seizes all with passion quits all with indifference his kings his conquests his glory his idols of bronze or glass as he throws away his stockings his hats and his fortune in paris no sentiment can withstand the drift of things and their current compels a struggle in which the passions are relaxed there love is a desire and hatred a whim there's no true kinsman but the thousand-franc note no better friend than the pawnbroker this universal toleration bears its fruits and in the salon as in the street there is no one de trop there is no one absolutely useful or absolutely harmful knaves or fools men of wit or integrity there everything is tolerated the government and the guillotine religion and the cholera you are always acceptable to this world you will never be missed by it what then is the dominating impulse in this country without morals without faith without any sentiment wherein however every sentiment belief and moral has its origin and end it is gold and pleasure take those two words for a lantern and explore that great stucco cage that hive with its black gutters and follow the windings of that thought which agitates sustains and occupies it consider and in the first place examine the world which possesses nothing the artisan the man of the proletariat who uses his hands his tongue his back his right arm his five fingers to live well this very man who should be the first to economize his vital principle outruns his strength yokes his wife to some machine wears out his child and ties him to the wheel the manufacturer or i know not what secondary thread which sets in motion all these folk who with their foul hands mould and gild porcelain sew coats and dresses beat out iron turn wood and steel weave hemp festoon crystal imitate flowers work woollen things break in horses dress harness carve in copper paint carriages blow glass corrode the diamond polish metals turn marble into leaves labour on pebbles deck out thought tinge bleach or blacken everything well this middleman has come to that world of sweat and goodwill of study and patience with promises of lavish wages either in the name of the town's caprices or with the voice of the monster dubbed speculation thus these quadrumanes set themselves to watch work and suffer to fast sweat and bestir them then careless of the future greedy of pleasure counting on their right arm as the painter on his palette lords for one day 
they throw their money on Mondays to the cabarets which gird the town like a belt of mud, haunts of the most shameless of the daughters of Venus, in which the periodical money of this people, as ferocious in their pleasures as they are calm at work, is squandered as it had been at play. For five days, then, there is no repose for this laborious portion of Paris. It is given up to actions which make it warped and rough, lean and pale, gush forth with a thousand fits of creative energy. And then its pleasure, its repose, are an exhausting debauch, swarthy and black with blows, white with intoxication, or yellow with indigestion. It lasts but two days, but it steals to-morrow's bread, the week's soup, the wife's dress, the child's wretched rags. Men born doubtless to be beautiful, for all creatures have a relative beauty, are enrolled from their childhood beneath the yoke of force, beneath the rule of the hammer, the chisel, the loom, and have been promptly vulcanized. Is not Vulcan, with his hideousness and his strength, the emblem of this strong and hideous nation? sublime in its mechanical intelligence, patient in its season, and once in a century terrible, inflammable as gunpowder, and ripe with brandy for the madness of revolution, with wits enough, in fine, to take fire at a captious word which signifies to it always gold and pleasure if we comprise in it all those who hold out their hands for an alms for lawful wages or the five francs that are granted to every kind of parisian prostitution in short for all the money well or ill earned this people numbers three hundred thousand individuals. Were it not for the cabarets, would not the government be overturned every Tuesday? Happily, by Tuesday, this people is glutted, sleeps off its pleasure, is penniless, and returns to its labour, to dry bread stimulated by a need of material procreation, which has become a habit to it. None the less, this people has its phenomenal virtues, its complete men, unknown Napoleons, who are the type of its strength carried to its highest expression, and sum up its social capacity in an existence wherein thought and movement combine less to bring joy into it than to neutralise the action of sorrow. Chance has made an artisan economical. Chance has favoured him with forethought. He has been able to look forward, has met with a wife and found himself a father and after some years of hard privation, he embarks in some little draper's business, hires a shop. If neither sickness nor vice blocks his way, if he has prospered, there is the sketch of this normal life. And in the first place, hail to that king of Parisian activity, to whom time and space give way. Yes, hail to that being, composed of saltpetre and gas, who makes children for France during his laborious nights, and in the day multiplies his personality for the service, glory, and pleasure of his fellow-citizens. 
this man solves the problem of sufficing at once to his amiable wife to his hearth to the constitutionnel to his office to the national guard to the opera and to god but only in order that the constitutionnel his office the national guard the opera his wife and god may be changed into coin in fine hail to an irreproachable pluralist up every day at five o'clock he traverses like a bird the space which separates his dwelling from the rue montmartre let it blow or thunder rain or snow he is at the constitutionnel and waits there for the load of newspapers which he has undertaken to distribute he receives this political bread with eagerness takes it bears it away at nine o'clock he is in the bosom of his family flings a jest to his wife snatches a loud kiss from her gulps down a cup of coffee or scolds his children at a quarter to ten he puts in an appearance at the mairie there stuck upon a stool like a parrot on its perch warmed by paris town he registers until four o'clock with never a tear or a smile the deaths and births of an entire district the sorrow the happiness of the parish flow beneath his pen as the essence of the constitutionnel travelled before upon his shoulders nothing weighs upon him he goes always straight before him takes his patriotism ready-made from the newspaper contradicts no one shouts or applauds with the world and lives like a bird two yards from his parish in the event of an important ceremony he can yield his place to an assistant and betake himself to chant a requiem from a stall in the church of which on sundays he is the fairest ornament where his is the most imposing voice where he distorts his huge mouth with energy to thunder out a joyous amen so is he chorister at four o'clock freed from his official servitude he reappears to shed joy and gaiety upon the most famous shop in the city happy is his wife he has no time to be jealous he is a man of action rather than of sentiment his mere arrival spurs the young ladies at the counter their bright eyes storm the customers he expands in the midst of all the finery the lace and muslin kerchiefs that their cunning hands have wrought or again more often still before his dinner he waits on a client copies the page of a newspaper or carries to the doorkeeper some goods that have been delayed every other day at six he is faithful to his post a permanent base for the chorus he betakes himself to the opera prepared to become a soldier or an arab prisoner savage peasant spirit camel's leg or lion a devil or a genie a slave or a eunuch black or white always ready to feign joy or sorrow pity or astonishment to utter cries that never vary to hold his tongue to hunt or fight for rome or egypt but always at heart a huckster still at midnight he returns a man the good husband the tender father 
he slips into the conjugal bed his imagination still afire with the elusive forms of the operatic nymphs and so turns to the profit of conjugal love the world's depravities the voluptuous curves of talioni's leg and finally if he sleeps he sleeps apace and hurries through his slumber as he does his life this man sums up all things history literature politics government religion military science is he not a living encyclopedia a grotesque atlas ceaselessly in motion like paris itself and knowing not repose he is all legs no physiognomy could preserve its purity amid such toils perhaps the artisan who dies at thirty an old man his stomach tanned by repeated doses of brandy will be held according to certain leisured philosophers to be happier than the huckster is the one perishes in a breath and the other by degrees from his eight industries from the labour of his shoulders his throat his hands from his wife and his business the one derives as from so many farms children some thousands of francs and the most laborious happiness that has ever diverted the heart of man this fortune and these children or the children who sum up everything for him become the prey of the world above to which he brings his ducats and his daughter or his son reared at college who with more education than his father raises higher his ambitious gaze often the son of a retail tradesman would fain be something in the state ambition of that sort carries on our thought to the second parisian sphere go up one story then and descend to the entresol or climb down from the attic and remain on the fourth floor in fine penetrate into the world which has possessions the same result wholesale merchants and their men people with small banking accounts and much integrity rogues and cat's paws clerks old and young sheriff's clerks barristers clerks solicitors clerks in fine all the working thinking and speculating members of that lower middle class which honeycombs the interests of paris and watches over its granary accumulates the coin stores the products that the proletariat have made preserves the fruits of the south the fishes the wine from every sun-favoured hill which stretches its hands over the orient and takes from it the shawls that the russ and the turk despise which harvests even from the indies crouches down in expectation of a sale greedy of profit which discounts bills turns over and collects all kinds of securities holds all paris in its hand watches over the fantasies of children spies out the caprices and the vices of mature age sucks money out of disease even so if they drink no brandy like the artisan nor wallow in the mire of debauch all equally abuse their strength immeasurably strain their bodies and their minds alike are burned away with desires devastated with the swiftness of the pace 
in their case the physical distortion is accomplished beneath the whip of interests beneath the scourge of ambitions which torture the educated portion of this monstrous city just as in the case of the proletariat it is brought about by the cruel seesaw of the material elaborations perpetually required from the despotism of the aristocratic i will here too then in order to obey that universal master pleasure or gold they must devour time hasten time find more than four-and-twenty hours in the day and night waste themselves slay themselves and purchase two years of unhealthy repose with thirty years of old age only the working man dies in hospital when the last term of his stunted growth expires whereas the man of the middle class is set upon living and lives on but in a state of idiocy you will meet him with his worn flat old face with no light in his eyes with no strength in his limbs dragging himself with a dazed air along the boulevard the belt of his venus of his beloved city what was his want the sabre of the national guard a permanent stock-pot a decent plot in pere lachaise and for his old age a little gold honestly earned his monday is on sunday his rest a drive in a hired carriage a country excursion during which his wife and children glut themselves merrily with dust or bask in the sun his dissipation is at the restaurateurs whose poisonous dinner has won renown or at some family ball where he suffocates till midnight some fools are surprised at the phantasmagoria of the monads which they see with the aid of the microscope in a drop of water but what would rabelais gargantua that misunderstood figure of an audacity so sublime what would that giant say fallen from the celestial spheres if he amused himself by contemplating the motions of this secondary life of paris of which here is one of the formulae have you seen one of those little constructions cold in summer and with no other warmth than a small stove in winter placed beneath the vast copper dome which crowns the al oblé madame is there by morning she is engaged at the markets and makes by this occupation twelve thousand francs a year people say monsieur when madame is up passes into a gloomy office where he lends money till the week-end to the tradesmen of his district by nine o'clock he is at the passport office of which he is one of the minor officials by evening he is at the box-office of the théâtre italien or of any other theatre you like the children are put out to nurse and only return to be sent to college or to boarding-school monsieur and madame live on the third floor have but one cook give dances in a salon twelve foot by eight lit by argand lamps but they give a hundred and fifty thousand francs to their daughter and retire at the age of fifty an age where they begin to show themselves on the balcony of the opera in a fiacre at longchamp or on sunny days in faded clothes on the boulevard the fruit of all this sowing respected by their neighbours 
in good odour with the government, connected with the upper middle classes, Monsieur obtains at sixty-five the cross of the Legion of Honour, and his daughter's father-in-law, a parochial mayor, invites him to his evenings. These lifelong labours, then, are for the good of the children, whom these lower middle classes are inevitably driven to exalt. Thus each sphere directs all its efforts towards the sphere above it. The son of the rich grocer becomes a notary, the son of the timber merchant becomes a magistrate. No link is wanting in the chain, and everything stimulates the upward march of money. Thus we are brought to the third circle of this hell, which perhaps will some day find its Dante. In this third social circle, a sort of Parisian belly, in which the interests of the town are digested, and where they are condensed into the form known as business, there moves and agitates, as by some acrid and bitter intestinal process, the crowd of lawyers, doctors, notaries, counsellors, businessmen, bankers, big merchants, speculators, and magistrates. Here are to be found even more causes of moral and physical destruction than elsewhere. These people, almost all of them, live in unhealthy offices, in fetid antechambers, in little barred dens, and spend their days bowed down beneath the weight of affairs. They rise at dawn to be in time, not to be left behind, to gain all or not to lose, to overreach a man or his money, to open or wind up some business, to take advantage of some fleeting opportunity, to get a man hanged or set him free. They infect their horses, they overdrive and age and break them, like their own legs, before their time. Time is their tyrant. It fails them, it escapes them. They can neither expand it nor cut it short. What soul can remain great, pure, moral, and generous? and consequently what face retain its beauty in this depraving practice of a calling which compels one to bear the weight of the public sorrows, to analyse them, to weigh them, estimate them, and mark them out by rule. Where do these folk put aside their hearts? I do not know but they leave them somewhere or other, when they have any, before they descend each morning into the abyss of the misery which puts families on the rack. For them there is no such thing as mystery. They see the reverse side of society, whose confessors they are, and despise it. Then, whatever they do, according to their contact with corruption, they either are horrified at it and grow gloomy, or else, out of lassitude or some secret compromise, espouse it. In fine, they necessarily become callous to every sentiment, since man, his laws and his institutions, make them steal like jackals from corpses that are still warm. At all hours the financier is trampling on the living, the attorney on the dead, the pleader on the conscience. Forced to be speaking without a rest, they all substitute words for ideas, 
phrases for feelings and their soul becomes a larynx neither the great merchant nor the judge nor the pleader preserves his sense of right they feel no more they apply set rules that leave cases out of count borne along by their headlong course they are neither husbands nor fathers nor lovers they glide on sledges over the facts of life and live at all times at the high pressure conduced by business and the vast city when they return to their homes they are required to go to a ball to the opera into society where they can make clients acquaintances protectors they all eat to excess play and keep vigil and their faces become bloated flushed and emaciated to this terrific expenditure of intellectual strength to such multifold moral contradictions they oppose not indeed pleasure it would be too pale a contrast but debauchery a debauchery both secret and alarming for they have all means at their disposal and fix the morality of society their genuine stupidity lies hid beneath their specialism they know their business but are ignorant of everything which is outside it so that to preserve their self-conceit they question everything are crudely and crookedly critical they appear to be sceptics and are in reality simpletons they swamp their wits in interminable arguments almost all conveniently adopt social literary or political prejudices to do away with the need of having opinions just as they adapt their conscience to the standard of the code or the tribunal of commerce having started early to become men of note they turn into mediocrities and crawl over the high places of the world so too their faces present the harsh pallor the deceitful colouring those dull tarnished eyes and garrulous sensual mouths in which the observer recognises the symptoms of the degeneracy of the thought and its rotation in the circle of a special idea which destroys the creative faculties of the brain and the gift of seeing in large of generalizing and deducing no man who has allowed himself to be caught in the revolutions of the gear of these huge machines can ever become great if he is a doctor either he has practised little or he is an exception a bichat who dies young if a great merchant something remains he is almost jacques coeur did robespierre practise danton was an idler who waited but who moreover has ever felt envious of the figures of danton and robespierre however lofty they were these men of affairs par excellence attract money to them and hoard it in order to ally themselves with aristocratic families if the ambition of the working man is that of the small tradesman here too are the same passions the type of this class might be either an ambitious bourgeois who after a life of privation and continual scheming passes into the council of state as an ant passes through a chink or some newspaper editor jaded with intrigue whom the king makes a peer of france 
perhaps to revenge himself on the nobility or some notary become mayor of his parish all people crushed with business who if they attain their end are literally killed in its attainment in france the usage is to glorify wigs napoleon louis says the great rulers alone have always wished for young men to fulfil their projects above this sphere the artist world exists but here too the faces stamped with the seal of originality are worn nobly indeed but worn fatigued nervous harassed by a need of production outrun by their costly fantasies worn out by devouring genius hungry for pleasure the artists of paris would all regain by excessive labour what they have lost by idleness and vainly seek to reconcile the world and glory money and art to begin with the artist is ceaselessly panting under his creditors his necessities beget his debts and his debts require of him his nights after his labour his pleasure the comedian plays till midnight studies in the morning rehearses at noon the sculptor is bent before his statue the journalist is a marching thought like the soldier when at war the painter who is the fashion is crushed with work the painter with no occupation if he feels himself to be a man of genius gnaws his entrails competition rivalry calumny assail talent some in desperation plunge into the abyss of vice others die young and unknown because they have discounted their future too soon few of these figures originally sublime remain beautiful on the other hand the flagrant beauty of their heads is not understood an artist's face is always exorbitant it is always above or below the conventional lines of what fools call the beau ideal what power is it that destroys them passion every passion in paris resolves into two terms gold and pleasure now do you not breathe again do you not feel air and space purified here is neither labour nor suffering the soaring arch of gold has reached the summit from the lowest gutters where its stream commences from the little shops where it is stopped by puny coffer dams from the heart of the counting-houses and great workshops where its volume is that of ingots gold in the shape of dowries and inheritances guided by the hands of young girls or the bony fingers of age courses towards the aristocracy where it will become a blazing expansive stream but before leaving the four territories upon which the utmost wealth of paris is based it is fitting having cited the moral causes to deduce those which are physical and to call attention to a pestilence latent as it were which incessantly acts upon the faces of the porter the artisan the small shopkeeper to point out a deleterious influence the corruption of which equals that of the parisian administrators who allow it so complacently to exist 
if the air of the houses in which the greater proportion of the middle classes live is noxious if the atmosphere of the streets belches out cruel miasmas into stuffy back kitchens where there is little air realize that apart from this pestilence the forty thousand houses of this great city have their foundations in filth which the powers that be have not yet seriously attempted to enclose with mortar walls solid enough to prevent even the most fetid mud from filtering through the soil poisoning the wells and maintaining subterraneously to lutetia the tradition of her celebrated name half of paris sleeps amidst the putrid exhalations of courts and streets and sewers but let us turn to the vast saloons gilded and airy the hotels in their gardens the rich indolent happy moneyed world there the faces are lined and scarred with vanity there nothing is real to seek for pleasure is it not to find ennui people in society have at an early age warped their nature having no occupation other than to wallow in pleasure they have speedily misused their sense as the artisan has misused brandy pleasure is of the nature of certain medical substances in order to obtain constantly the same effects the doses must be doubled and death or degradation is contained in the last all the lower classes are on their knees before the wealthy and watch their tastes in order to turn them into vices and exploit them thus you see in these folk at an early age tastes instead of passions romantic fantasies and lukewarm loves there impotence reigns there ideas have ceased they have evaporated together with energy amongst the affectations of the boudoir and the cajolements of women there are fledglings of forty old doctors of sixty years the wealthy obtain in paris ready-made wit and science formulated opinions which save them the need of having wit science or opinion of their own the irrationality of this world is equalled by its weakness and its licentiousness it is greedy of time to the point of wasting it seek in it for affection as little as for ideas its kisses conceal a profound indifference its urbanity a perpetual contempt it has no other fashion of love flashes of wit without profundity a wealth of indiscretion scandal and above all commonplace such is the sum of its speech but these happy fortunates pretend that they do not meet to make and repeat maxims in the manner of la rochefoucauld as though there did not exist a mean invented by the eighteenth century between a superfluity and an absolute blank if a few men of character indulge in witticism at once subtle and refined they are misunderstood soon tired of giving without receiving they remain at home and leave fools to reign over their territory this hollow life this perpetual expectation of a pleasure which never comes this permanent ennui and emptiness of soul heart and mind 
the lassitude of the upper parisian world is reproduced on its features and stamps its parchment faces its premature wrinkles that physiognomy of the wealthy upon which impotence has set its grimace in which gold is mirrored and whence intelligence has fled such a view of moral paris proves that physical paris could not be other than it is this coroneted town is like a queen who being always with child has desires of irresistible fury paris is the crown of the world a brain which perishes of genius and leads human civilization it is a great man a perpetually creative artist a politician with second sight who must of necessity have wrinkles on his forehead the vices of a great man the fantasies of the artist and the politician's disillusions its physiognomy suggests the evolution of good and evil battle and victory the moral combat of eighty-nine the clarion calls of which still re-echo in every corner of the world and also the downfall of eighteen hundred and fourteen thus this city can no more be moral or cordial or clean than the engines which impel those proud leviathans which you admire when they cleave the waves is not paris a sublime vessel laden with intelligence yes her arms are one of those oracles which fatality sometimes allows the city of paris has her great mast all of bronze carved with victories and for watchman napoleon the bark may roll and pitch but she cleaves the world illuminates it through the hundred mouths of her tribunes ploughs the seas of science rides with full sail cries from the height of her tops with the voice of her scientists and artists onward advance follow me she carries a huge crew which delights in adorning her with fresh streamers boys and urchins laughing in the rigging ballast of heavy bourgeoisie working men and sailor men touched with tar in her cabins the lucky passengers elegant midshipmen smoke their cigars leaning over the bulwarks then on the deck her soldiers innovators or ambitious would accost every fresh shore and shooting out their bright lights upon it ask for glory which is pleasure or for love which needs gold thus the exorbitant movement of the proletariat the corrupting influence of the interests which consume the two middle classes the cruelties of the artist's thought and the excessive pleasure which is sought for incessantly by the great explain the normal ugliness of the parisian physiognomy it is only in the orient that the human race presents a magnificent figure but that is an effect of the constant calm affected by those profound philosophers with their long pipes their short legs their square contour who despise and hold activity in horror whilst in paris the little and the great and the mediocre run and leap and drive whipped on by an inexorable goddess necessity the necessity for money glory and amusement 
thus any face which is fresh and graceful and reposeful any really young face is in paris the most extraordinary of exceptions it is met with rarely should you see one there be sure it belongs either to a young and ardent ecclesiastic or to some good abbe of forty with three chins to a young girl of pure life such as is brought up in certain middle-class families to a mother of twenty still full of illusions as she suckles her first-born to a young man newly embarked from the provinces and entrusted to the care of some devout dowager who keeps him without a sou or perhaps to some shop assistant who goes to bed at midnight wearied out with folding and unfolding calico and rises at seven o'clock to arrange the window often again to some man of science or poetry who lives monastically in the embrace of a fine idea who remains sober patient and chaste else to some self-contented fool feeding himself on folly reeking of health in a perpetual state of absorption with his own smile or to the soft and happy race of loungers the only folk really happy in paris which unfolds for them hour by hour its moving poetry nevertheless there is in paris a proportion of privileged beings to whom this excessive movement of industries interests affairs arts and gold is profitable these beings are women although they also have a thousand secret causes which here more than elsewhere destroy their physiognomy there are to be found in the feminine world little happy colonies who live in oriental fashion and can preserve their beauty but these women rarely show themselves on foot in the streets they lie hid like rare plants who only unfold their petals at certain hours and constitute veritable exotic exceptions however paris is essentially the country of contrasts if true sentiments are rare there there also are to be found as elsewhere noble friendships and unlimited devotion on this battlefield of interests and passions just as in the midst of those marching societies where egoism triumphs where every one is obliged to defend himself and which we call armies it seems as though sentiments liked to be complete when they showed themselves and are sublime by juxtaposition so it is with faces in paris one sometimes sees in the aristocracy set like stars the ravishing faces of young people the fruit of quite exceptional manners and education to the youthful beauty of the english stock they unite the firmness of southern traits the fire of their eyes a delicious bloom on their lips the lustrous black of their soft locks a white complexion a distinguished cast of features render them the flowers of the human race magnificent to behold against the mass of other faces worn old wrinkled and grimacing so women too admire such young people with that eager pleasure which men take in watching a pretty girl elegant gracious and embellished with all the virginal charms with which our imagination pleases to adorn the perfect woman 
if this hurried glance at the population of paris has enabled us to conceive the rarity of a raphaelesque face and the passionate admiration which such an one must inspire at the first sight the prime interest of our history will have been justified quod erat demonstrandum if one may be permitted to apply scholastic formulae to the science of manners End of section one. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.